Thank you so much. Hi, thank you. Thank you, Haley. Beautiful prayer. Um, I'm Janet B. I've recovered from compulsive eating and bulimia. Super excited to talk tonight about one of my favorite topics, surrender. The first, my first favorite is like finding God in the first place. And then it's like surrender. So this is step three, right? Made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. If you think about it, that's like kind of a weird concept, like what is my will and my life and what the heck does it mean to turn it over, right? You know, does it mean, oh, here's my life and I take it and I just flip it upside down? Um, you know, it's kind of a weird concept. So this chapter goes into it. So we are on page 58, how it works. And the very first paragraph, it starts out, you know, you'd think it'd say, okay, we've taken step one. We've learned that we are powerless over food and our lives are unmanageable. In step two, whether we believed in God or not, we've done some work that got us to the point where we not only believe in God, but believe he can restore us to sanity. And now it's like we're talking about surrender. But what do they open this paragraph, this chapter with? A whole long, like 15 line long paragraph about honesty stuck right here. And they basically say rarely, not basically, they say, rarely have we seen a person fail who has thoroughly followed our path. So if we want to succeed, and we want to have God remove the obsession, we have to thoroughly follow their path, their 12 steps, the way it's written in the book. And it says the people who don't recover are people who aren't honest. They say this program demands rigorous honesty. So what does that all mean? Like, why did they put it all here? And I think it's this, if I'm going to turn my will and my life over to God. I have to trust him. And every time I'm dishonest, it means I'm trying to get something for myself. I'm either trying to escape a consequence that I don't want to get, or trying to get something I don't deserve, or maybe something I do deserve, but I want to take a shortcut and get it in a different way. And what they're saying is dishonesty doesn't work. That if we're dishonest, it's like we're taking a big black Sharpie and writing the words, keep out God across our hearts. God absolutely will not coexist with dishonesty. So we could be going to a hundred meetings a week. We could be making 10 phone calls a day. We could have like a super strict food plan, you know, which some people think like whoever has the strictest food plan wins. We could do all that. And if we're dishonest, it's as if we're doing nothing. Okay, so they're saying, okay, right off the bat, before we talk about surrender, let's just emphasize how important it is to be honest. And then they tell us, okay, who can go ahead and work these steps? Still on page 58. It says, if you have decided you want what we have, what do we have? What did they have? And what they had, step 12 tells us, a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps. God coming in and doing a renovation job on our hearts so that our priorities are different. Our values are different. The way we think and act is different. It's like the soil of our soul is changed 
and the illness of compulsive eating can't flourish there anymore, can't grow there anymore. It's like a, you take a plant and you put it in the wrong kind of soil. God changes the soil of our soul. That's what we have. So if you want that and are willing to go to any lengths to get it, then you are ready to take certain steps. So in order to be sponsorable, a person has to want what we have, a spiritual experience that results in freedom from compulsive eating and willing to go to any lengths to get it. So if we're sponsoring someone and they say, yeah, you tell me to spend 30 minutes in the morning with God. Yeah, I don't want to do that. Or you told me to make three phone calls a day. Yeah, I'm shy. I don't like doing it. I won't. Do it. Then that person isn't willing to go to any length. And what I do with the person, I'm, I'm never mean. I'm not like, you don't mean business. You're going to die. You're going to go back in the food. Like, that's just mean. Um, what I do is I point out this sentence and I say, the big book tells me I am not allowed to sponsor you. Not allowed. Why? Because let's say the person isn't willing to go to any length and I sponsor her and it doesn't work because it never does if a person isn't willing. And she goes out and binges. And then let's say a year later, she is willing and she'll think back and say, oh yeah, those 12 steps, they don't work. So we want to make it clear to someone, you know, if you're not willing, I'm really sorry, but like, I can't help you. My hands are tied. Um, but if we're not sure if we're willing to go to any lengths, take heart because it says if you have decided, so we could make a decision that we're going to go to any lengths, whether we like it or not. I've made a decision to have my job. There are mornings I wake up and I do not feel like going to work too bad. I go anyway. I've made a decision that I'm going to show up for work every morning. So it says at some of these, we balked. So it says right off the bat, we're not always going to want to do it. It's okay. And they just say, we beg of you, be fearless and thorough from the very start. Do this right away. And they remind us, they say, remember, you know, because why are they reminding us? Well, for persons on step three, they've probably been abstinent a little while now. Maybe they've gotten to step three in two days or two weeks, but you know they have a little bit of time and the food obsession has probably started to diminish a little bit. So they remind us, remember, we deal with alcohol, with food, cunning, baffling, powerful. Look at those words, like food is a common noun. Food can't be powerful. You know, it's not like a donut grew arms that were, you know, so strong they could take my arm and force it upon itself, right? But there's like a spiritual force behind this illness of not very nice spiritual force. And it's cunning, baffling, and powerful. And it says, without help, it's too much for us, right? I'm like an army of one fighting an army of 50. Then it says, but there is one who has all power. That one is God. May you find him now. Like that's their prayer for us, that we find God now. So if I'm an army of one and the illness is an army of a thousand, God has all power. So God has unlimited resources. May you find him now. They say half measures availed us nothing, right? Any of our school teacher friends here will tell us if you get half measures, if you get a 50% on a test, 
That's an F. Half measures avail us nothing. We stood at the turning point. We asked his protection and care with complete abandon. So now we're getting an idea of what a third step is. God's going to protect us and take care of us, but we have to abandon ourselves completely to him. So this gives us some more clues about God. Remember back in We Agnostic, we talked that we learned God is smart, strong, has a consciousness and cares about us. And here we have a couple more clues. God's able to protect us and take care of us. But here's the price of admission. We have to surrender with complete abandon. So here's how I think of it. Um, you know, we learned this back in middle school social studies, right? The kings who had the land and the serfs were on the land and invading armies would always come and try and attack. But the king's got these really strong drawbridges. And when he knows another army's coming to attack, he pulls up the drawbridge. So all the serfs there who are serving the king are safe and protected. Now, what if you have a defiant serf like I used to be and still can be sometime who says, yeah, I don't like it on the king's land. The grass is greener over there. The king's you know, too strict. I have to be honest. I have to be nice to other people. I'm going to that land out there. And the king, being a generous king who gives me free will, says, okay. And I leave. And then the invading army comes around and all the people who are inside the king's land, inside those you know, drawbridges are safe and protected, but I'm not. Not because the king doesn't love me, but because I've wandered off the king's land. But how lucky are we? Because we have a king who doesn't just say, I'm really sorry to see you go, but I will allow it. But who launches search and rescue missions to bring us back. So they say, okay, how do we do it? How do we get and stay on the king's land? Here are the steps we took that get us there and keep us there. And we start by admitting we're powerless and our lives are unmanageable. We come to believe that a power greater than ourselves, God as we understand him, can restore us to sanity. And in this step, we make a decision that will turn our will and our lives over to him. And then page 66 tells us the result once we've gone through all the steps. Step 12 starts with a promise. Having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps. So if I want my soul rewired, what do I have to do? It's a, it's a result of these steps, a natural result. Um, and then we try to carry this message of 12 steps to others and practice these principles in all our affairs. And they say, a lot of people say, wait, I don't know that I can do this. Like I'm no saint. And they're saying, it's okay. You know, we're going to grow along spiritual lines. What does that mean? So I think what that means is we still have character defects, but they should be getting better. So if I used to get resentful and I would stay in the resentment for three days, well, after a while, it should be two days, then one day, then three hours, then, you know, an hour. We should look at where we were six months ago and be able to see improvement. Like, oh yeah, I used to be so sensitive that if someone looked at me funny, I would be depressed all day. And now 
yeah, I'm still depressed for about 10 minutes, but then I go help someone and I forget all about it. We should be able to see growth. We grow. There should be spiritual progress. And then they say, okay, before we move on to step three, let's make really sure our first two steps are solid. So they give us, you know, what's the very beginning, right? The ABCs on page 60. So it says the first thing we have to be convinced of is that we are compulsive eaters and could not manage our own lives. So again, if you're sponsoring someone, it's great to take them through this. Like, do you believe you're a compulsive eater and can't manage your own life? And most, by the time a person is here, it's like, yes, I'm a compulsive eater. I can't run my life. Okay, great. B, do you believe that probably no human power could have relieved our compulsive eating? That means the group can't. The group can give me fellowship and support. But as much as, you know, I may love you, I can't rewire your soul. I, I don't have the ability to do that. Only God can. No human power could have relieved our compulsive eating. We get relief. See, that God could and would if he were sought. And I think this is so important that we don't want to, we don't want to glide through C. So let's say someone says, yeah, I don't know. Not sure God can or will for me. So it's like, let's break it down. So here's what I would say to someone. Do you believe that God could restore other people to sanity? I'm not talking about you, other people. And of course, if you've been in the room any amount of time, it's like, okay, yes, God can do it for other people. Okay, great. Do you believe God could restore you to sanity if he wanted to? He may not want to, but could he if he wanted to? And inevitably we have to say, well, yes, you know, there's no, he could if he wanted to, but here's where people get stuck. They say, but he doesn't want to for me. So God could, but they get caught on the, he would if he were sought. They say he could, he, he has the ability, but he won't for me. And then I say, why? And there's generally five reasons. One of five reasons. If anyone can think of more, bring it on, but I don't think they're more. The first is I've done some really bad things in my life. And that may be true. And we say, great, you know, so did all the founders of this program. That's why there's a ninth step. You'll have a chance to make amends. Or someone might say, well, I caused this illness. And you know, we can debate whether we caused it or we were born with it. But let's, you know, give the person the benefit of the doubt. Okay, let's say you did cause it, right? I mean, Dr. Bob said he thought that his selfishness brought this disease on. And later in this chapter, it says selfishness and self-centeredness that we think is the root of the illness. So yeah, a person could logically think he or she brought it on themselves. So here's what I would say to that. Let's say I'm crossing the street and I have my cell phone out and I'm texting while crossing the street and I get hit by a car and my legs get broken. Totally my fault crossed against traffic, not looking where I'm going. And the ambulance comes. 
am I going to say to the driver, don't take me to the hospital to fix my broken legs. It's my fault. Just leave me here in the street. We would never do that, right? But when it comes to spiritual things in God, we get all noble and say, oh, no, no, I caused this. So I don't want to bother God. Well, bother the ambulance driver. You know, and a lot of these guys aren't even paid, but we don't want to bother God. And what I say is it's okay. We can bother God. The third reason people give is I've tried this so many times before and it hasn't worked. And in that case, I would hold up my phone and say, here's my cell phone. So let's say a hundred times I try to take a picture by pushing this button that I guess raises the volume and it doesn't work. And then someone comes along and says, you know, let's say my son comes along. It's like, mom, you're pushing the wrong button. It's this one. Well, it doesn't matter if it's my first time holding a phone or I've tried a hundred thousand times to take pictures if I've given the right information and I'm willing to apply it, suddenly I'll be able to take pictures. And the fourth one, and I think this is the one that trips up most of us. Yes, I believe God could restore me to sanity, but I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy of him doing it for me. And I would say you have two options if that's what you believe. Option one, you like, spend $10,000 in therapy for a therapist to tell you that you're worthy. Or option two is you accept that you're not worthy. Neither was I, neither am I still not worthy. Never was, never will be. You know, with, with all the shame, the guilt, we feel unworthy. And this is what I will say to you if that's you right now. The word worthy is not in the big book. Willingness is a requirement, not worthiness. It doesn't matter if we have low self-esteem. It doesn't matter if we feel shame. It doesn't matter if we feel I'm not worthy for God to help me. All, that's, all that matters is, am I willing to do this work? Am I willing to you know, start relying on God? Am I willing to put the needs of others ahead of myself. Willingness is all that's required. The fifth reason is if someone says, well, it says God could and would if he were sought. Yeah, I, I'm not going to seek him. And to that person only, I would say, then you may be in trouble because over and over in this book, it does say we have to seek. That's why I personally tell all my sponsees if they want me to sponsor them, they need to spend 30 minutes every morning um, trying to connect with God. And I, you know, give them ideas how, but we have to seek through spiritual reading, through prayer, through meditation. We have to seek God. And it's, it reminds me like when, when my kids were little and we would play hide and seek. And once my husband was hiding and my little son couldn't find him, he's like, dad's hiding in a turkey place. He meant a tricky place. Um, God doesn't hide in turkey or tricky places. He wants us to seek, but he doesn't make it himself hard to find. So it says being convinced, right? We're on page 60. What do we have to be convinced of? 
that we're compulsive eaters and can't manage our lives, that no human power could, that God could, that God has the ability to do it. And he will if I seek him. So a person has to be convinced of all of that before going on to step three. If they're not, we need to work with them so that they are convinced. And then they are at step three and they say, okay, that's where we turn our will and our lives over to God as we understand him. What does that mean? And what do we do? And they tell us the first requirement is we have to be convinced that any life run on self-will can hardly be a success. And what I always ask my sponsees to do at this point is to read these two paragraphs out loud in the first person. So is anyone willing to do that for me now? Colleen? Thanks. Starting with um, the first requirement on page 60. Okay. And this is, but if you're reading along, it's very powerful. If you're, um, one time I had called a friend of mine, very agitated because my family members weren't behaving the right way. That is the way I wanted them to. And she read this out loud to me and wherever it said the actor, she said, Janet, Janet, Janet. And as I listened, it was like, okay, I know what my problem is. So this is our problem. These two paragraphs is the crux of all of our problems. Go ahead. The first requirement is that we be convinced well, that can any- you that, Can you read it in the first person? <clears throat> the first requirement is that I be convinced that my life run on self-will can hardly be a success. On that basis, I am almost always in collision with something or somebody, even though my motives were good. Most people tried to live by self-propulsion. I tried to live by self-propulsion. I was like an actor who wanted to run the show, forever trying to arrange the lights, the ballet, the scenery, and the rest of the players in my own way. If my arrangements would only stay put, if only people would do as I wished, the show would be great. Everybody, including myself, would be pleased. Life would be wonderful. In trying to make these arrangements, I may sometimes be quite virtuous. I may be kind, considerate, patient, generous, even modest and self-sacrificing. On the other hand, I may be mean, egotistical, selfish, and dishonest. But as with most humans, I am more likely to be a have varied traits keep going yeah one more please what usually happens the show doesn't come off very well i begin to think life doesn't treat me right i decide to exert myself more i become on the next occasion still more demanding or gracious as the case may be still the play does not suit me admitting i may be somewhat at fault i am sure that other people are more to blame i become angry indignant self-pitying what is the basis of my trouble is it not that I am really a self-seeking, self-seeker, even when trying to be kind? Am I not a victim of the delusion that I can wrestle satisfaction and happiness out of this world if I only manage well? Is it not evidence to all the rest of the players that these are the things I want? Do not my actions make each of them wish to retaliate, snatching all they can get out of the show? Is I, am I not even in my best moments, the producer of confusion rather than harmony? 
Thank you. I know that's hard to do on the fly. So thank you. <laughs> but I think it's really Thanks. when we read it and we hear like, what is my basic trouble? Am I not really a self seeker, even when trying to be kind? Well, what does that mean? So normally we have goals, right? And the goals may be good ones, like get my husband to stop smoking, um, get my kids to grow up and want to go to church, get my kids to, you know, be respectful. So these are all like, no one would say those are bad things, but they're my goals and they're radically different than having a goal of simply doing God's will. So for instance, um, let's say I have a goal of making sure that when my kids leave off, for, leave for college, they still go to church on Sundays. Um, I'm going to raise, take them to church, raise them well, but let's say they go off to college and they don't go to church. I'm going to get really sad. I'm going to get mad. I'm going to get frustrated. Um, because I'm focused on an outcome, my kids acting a certain way, even if I believe that way is really good. Um, versus if my goal is simply to do God's will, I may raise them the exact same way, take them to church, teach them the value of going to church. But when they go off to college and they don't go to church, I don't measure my success on whether my kids are attending church. And that means I'm a success in God's eyes. I measure my success by, did I raise them the way I think God would have me? The outcome is up to God. So in other words, our goal shifts from achieving something, even if that something is good, to just doing God's will. And of course, that's why we have an 11th step, right? We pray and meditate for knowledge of God's will for us and the power to carry it out. But a third step, we're asked to really ponder, are we willing to just give our lives over to God and surrender? And what I ask my sponsees to do is to really think what would be different when you take a third step. So for me, it might be, I won't ask my kids every Sunday night if they went to church because that, that's a way of trying to control them. You know, I won't tell them if you go to church, if you don't go to church, you'll break my heart because that's a way of trying to control them. Um, it might mean if someone is greedy, they say, you know what, I will give X amount of money to charity every week because that's a way um, that I can trust that God will take care of my finances. Or if someone's like thinks, um, you know, if she doesn't like nag her husband, nothing will ever get done. She'll say, you know what? I'm not going to nag because that's not kind and loving. And I'm going to trust that God will, you know, just provide a way for things to get done. So I had an experience of this. I had a job and I was supposed to, as part of it, join like a, a society that had some values that I was, were just against my values and I couldn't in good conscience do it. And it cost me my job. And that was really like a little scary. And I was able to get another job, but it was for, I think, I mean, this was going back like 30 years. And it was like $15,000 a year less. 
And it's like, well, okay, but you know, doing the right thing. And just at that time, my parents decided that as part of their estate planning, they were going to give me $1,500 every month, which more than made up for the difference. So again, that's an example of like, I did what I thought was right. And I left the outcome up to God. Now it doesn't always work out that way, right? Where, you know, this isn't like Cinderella, you know, sometimes we do the right thing and we, it doesn't look like we get our happily ever after. But I say, God always knows the end of the story. And the end of the story always is, and she lived happily ever after. We just want the end of the story to be in five seconds. And sometimes in God's time, it may be, you know, five years or more. But we can always trust that his will for us is better than our own, right? Page 100, it says, the things that come to us when we put ourselves in God's hands are better than anything we could have planned. Follow the dictates of a higher power, meaning like we really have to do as well. And you will suddenly find yourself, oh, let me read it exactly right. Follow the dictates of a higher power and you will presently live in a new and wonderful world, no matter what your present circumstances. God can overcome bad circumstances. So here we are, we understand what it is and it tell, they tell us our actor, meaning us, is self-centered. And on page 62, they go ahead and they say, selfishness and self-centeredness, that's the root of our troubles. That's really interesting. So the root of all this, all my problems, my food, my not being able to get along with people, it's all because of selfishness and self-centeredness. And they say, yeah, that's the roots. But in a tree, you don't see the roots. They're underground, but you see the fruits. And the fruits of this illness are fear, resentment, harms to others. And of course, being unable to stop eating compulsively. And it says, you know, we are driven by a hundred forms of fear, self-delusion, self-seeking, and self-pity. And what happens? We step on other people's toes, right? If I were bugging my kids every week, did you go to church? That's stepping on their toes because once they're out of my house, it's none of my business. And they retaliate. You know, so we don't do that. I don't bug my kids about going to church. Um, and it was ironic. As soon as I stopped bugging them, they started going. I don't know. I don't think it's because they were saying mom's bugging me and I won't go. But maybe as long as I was trying to run the show, I was telling God to keep out of the equation and not work on their hearts. So I think when I try to run the show, I'm telling God, I don't need your help. So they continue on and they say, our troubles are basically of our own making. Now, I'm not saying if a woman is raped at gunpoint, that was of her own making. It absolutely isn't. But our run-of-the-mill troubles, because of our own selfishness and self-centeredness. And they say, okay, but we can't just say, I'm going to be unselfish, right? I would always see the movie Gone with the Wind. And afterwards, I would say, I want to be like Melanie, like she was the really sweet one in it. And I couldn't do it. I wanted to be unselfish and I couldn't. And they say, yeah, we can't reduce our self-centeredness much by wishing or trying on our own power. We had to have God's help. And then the bottom of 62, it's like, boom, they start giving us direction. Boom, this is the how and why of it. 
First, number one, we had to quit playing God. Why? Because it's not very nice. No, they're more practical than that. It didn't work. We just quit playing God. Stop trying to run the universe. Next, we decided hereafter in this drama of life, God's going to be in charge, right? I could say, I'm not going to run the universe and like go join a cult or, you know, turn my will and my life over to my husband or something like we could all, you know, turn. There's always people willing to be in charge of us. And it says, no, it's God. He is the principal. We are his agents. I like that visual. It's like a principal has work to be done. And the agent is the one who carries it out, right? God has all these search and rescue missions that he wants to do in the world. And we're his agents who help him. But we're not just agents. He is the father and we are his children. And I think his beloved children. And they say, most good ideas are simple. And this is it. We're not in charge. And God is. And he has work for us to do. And he loves us. And on the top of page 63, um, it tells us the fruits of a third step, what we can expect when we turn our will and our lives over to God. It says, we have a new employer with a capital E. So I don't have to worry about jobs anymore, right? Look how my employer with a capital E came through with for me years ago. It didn't all come in the form of a paycheck. Some of it was gifting from my parents but ultimately it all flowed through the loving hand of God. Being all powerful, he provided what we needed if two things. A, we kept close to him. That's why we, we have our quiet time in the morning. We want to spend time with him. God doesn't want us to just want him for his gifts. He wants us to want him for himself. We kept close to him and performed his work well. I do as I think he would have me. Established on this footing, what happens? We became less and less interested in ourselves, our little plans and designs, more and more. So it's cumulative, right? Just like this illness is progressive, recovery is progressive. More and more, we became interested in seeing what we could contribute to life as we felt new power flow in. Remember, we start getting power in step two, and now we get even more power, new power. As we felt new power flow in, we enjoyed peace of mind, right? I didn't have that before. My mind was always chattering, chattering away. We get peace. We discovered we could face life successfully. We became conscious of his presence, not just like this intellectual belief, but an awareness like, God's with me. We began to lose our fear of today, tomorrow, or the hereafter. The hereafter, that five seconds after I die, God's up there waiting, you know, with a baseball bat to clobber me for everything I've done wrong. That goes away. We were reborn. We're getting a new soil in our soul. And it tells us our third step prayer, right? God, I offer myself to thee to build with me and do with me as thou wilt. You know, some people say, oh, this language is old fashioned, like thou and thee. But I like to think of it a different way. I like to think that God is so special. He kind of needs his own language, you know, that we want to use like special words and talking to him. So that's just me, how I like, I think it's special that it's like that. Um, so we offer ourselves like, God, I'm offering you the raw material of myself. Take me, build with me like a lump of clay, shape me how you want. 
and do with me whatever you want. Relieve me of the bondage of self. Why? So my life will be easy? No, no. So I can better serve you. Take away my difficulties. Again, why? So I could sit around and watch Netflix all day? Uh Uh-uh. That victory over them may bear witness to those I would help. We're going to go out and help. Of three things. God's power, that he's strong enough to do this. God's love, that he cares enough about us to do this. And God's way of life, that there's a way that we can follow and duplicate this. And we end with a prayer to do his will always. And what that is, is we are basically consecrating ourselves to God, setting ourselves aside for his use. So um, there were a couple of other prayers I read recently that, you know, or just to me were kind of third steppy surrender prayers. And I thought that I would, um, that I would just kind of say it um, because sometimes we hear the third step prayer so often that it, you know, just, it's like, we just kind of ramble it on, but this is one, actually someone um, when they were doing a closing prayer, one said this prayer and I thought it was so gorgeous. I asked her for a copy. It's called a covenant prayer. I'm no longer my own, but yours put me to what you will place me with whom you will put me to doing, put me to suffering. Let me be put to work for you or set aside for you, praised for you or criticized for you. Let me be full. Let me be empty. Let me have all things. Let me have nothing. I freely and fully surrender all things to your glory and service. And now a wonderful and holy God, creator, redeemer, and sustainer. You are mine and I am yours. So be it. And the covenant which I've made on earth, let it also be made in heaven. Amen thought that was pretty. And then there was another one that I read yesterday and I really liked it because it just emphasized this surrendering to God and turning our lives over to God, not so that God will do things for us, but that we want to just get to the point you know, we start out doing things cuz we have to to like save our butts, like oh, if I don't, you know, do this, I'm going to end up back in the food. But the goal is that we do it because we love God and we want to just please him and we want to grow in usefulness to others. So anyway, I just read this and I thought it was really nice. So if it helps you, great. If not, it's fine. Lord, I will obey you simply because you are worthy and it is my duty. But don't let my service to you remain at that level. Show me your beauty. Attract my heart. Capture my imagination so that I may find joyful pleasure in serving you. Amen. Isn't that pretty? So again, so I hope this was helpful and just ways, you know, what it means to surrender and how we go about it. And that's all I got. Thanks.